I may be in my basement, and I'm not sure what floor you're on in, in your house, uh, in your office. Basement. But I feel like we're a cut above just two guys in our basements talking about um, football that very few people really care about. I think we're, uh, you know, I have, I have a solid microphone here. I think we're pretty, we're pretty good at this. Ten years of experience. 13. Do we have plans for? Go ahead. Thirteen. Right, of course, because the years don't all run together after a while. Well, I mean, I write it down just so I don't forget. Um, you know, the, I think the fact that uh, we may both be in the basement recording, but we're not in the same basement, and we're not in our parents' basement, and I think that makes this at least in the top uh, in the ninetieth percentile of podcasts. That is definitely the key to not be in your mom's basement. <laughs> Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello, everybody. This is the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, episode number 245, heading into week four of the 2019 season. And I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, trusty sidekick. Not that you ever hear about untrusty sidekicks. Yeah, I don't know who the untrusty sidekick is. I feel like sidekick does not, uh, you rise to some level above sidekick, right? I'm just being faux humble right now. Uh, and we're here to talk about Division Three football, where apparently you can bring your own cannon to a game and accidentally shoot down a referee. Is that a thing that happened this week? Yeah, that's a thing that happened this week. Uh, not as many prime games come up here in week four as there were in week three, but we can't let that get us down, everybody. Even though, you know, I'm still reflecting on last week and it'll be really hard for any other week to measure up. It's kind of like when you see that the Seinfeld episode with the puffy shirt. Now that's a great looking shirt. Uh, is also the same episode with the low talker and the one where George is a hand model, right? Okay, fine. But I, I promise you, there's a subset of coaches and fans between the ages of 35 and 54 who think this is hilarious. And, you know, and then their parents are the people keeping NCIS on the air. I feel like I worked with a lot of those people uh, in sports departments, and they all really like Bruce Springsteen and, and Jason Isbell, too. You and I worked for someone who uh, uh, drove around to watch uh, Bruce Springsteen concerts like all the time. You remember that? I mean, that's like 45% of sports writers. So it's often the, the weeks like this, right, with the games that don't seem interesting on paper and nonetheless provide some pretty memorable moments. I mean, not that I could pull out any examples here. So it seems like, uh, you know, this week, even though for every Mount Union John Carroll game, there's a North Central North Park and a St. John's Carlton and a Hardin Simmons Louisiana College. You know, there's still 101 or so. Yeah, 101 games to be played. Somewhere in here are the hidden gems, which we don't know about right now, but we're going to be talking about on Saturday night and Sunday. Yeah, and if you listen to Monday's podcast, we talked about a couple of games right at the top, which uh, we weren't necessarily expecting to be huge upsets, and that's obviously how upsets happen, right? They they wouldn't be upsets if you knew they were going to happen. But um, you know, we were kind of just watching games because we were up getting ready to record the podcast, and then we are like, hold on, let's let's delay the podcast because... This uh, this Chapman Whitworth game is, is getting crazy, and uh, so is Redlands Linfield, and it does happen that way sometimes. Certain weeks, and this um, this potentially w could be a week like that because I think when you look at the schedule, there aren't too many matchups to get you excited or where you're like these two teams are are evenly matched, and the ones that are good we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. But these are definitely the weeks where 
you know, a handful of teams across D3 will will make a name for themselves. We'll catch some national attention. We'll catch somebody's eye because uh, they pull off an upset that we didn't see coming. This is also a week where if you want to go out and uh, have, a, you know, whatever you want to do at a particular time on Saturday night, there are no games that start after 7 p.m. Eastern. So you guys have uh, plenty of time to go out and do all the things. I like that you assume other people sit home and watch D3 games. They should. They should sit home and watch D3 games. They should also be happy that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by our friends at Gotta Have It Fan Foams. You can uh, Gotta Have It. Go to GottaHaveItFanFoams.com. Keith, I uh, talked in a previous edition of this podcast about how easy it was to put this uh, on the wall, but I hadn't actually followed through and done it, uh, and my... uh, my 14-year-old was, A, walking past my office as I was editing a previous podcast and uh, it was uh, disappointed at herself that she actually laughed at something that I said. And then I was taking, you know, like I said, I was going to with the, uh, in this case, it's the Warhawks fan phone looks really good here on my, uh, up above my desk. Just putting the, a couple of uh, pins in the uh, backside where those two holes are, attached it to the wall. 14-year-old offspring is looking at me going like, what the hell are you going to do, Dad? And I just attached it to the wall. It took five seconds. It was amazing. Yeah, these things are really nice. They are three-dimensional renderings of your team's logo, and um, they're light to pick up, right? You can can easily move them around and hang them up, and I think they're a great way to get a big, solid D3 logo uh, on your wall, your your cubicle, put it in your camper if you, if you drive to games, whatever you need to do but uh, we appreciate their support and we hope that you'll support uh, Gotta Have It Fan Foams as well There's five Division Three teams currently represented on this uh, on this group, including uh, of course I mentioned Whitewater, which is here on my wall University of Mary Hardin Baylor East Texas Baptist, Mountain Union Johns Hopkins, a handful of D1 schools, including the Service Academies and uh you know, if you are interested in getting your school represented, maybe you're a fan. Maybe you want to have uh, one of these on your uh, on your wall. Maybe you're part of uh, a football team's alumni association, right? Maybe you've got uh, homecoming coming up. Maybe you want to get, uh, you know, 30 or 40 of your fellow alumni interested in getting one of these things. Not that you need to have 30 or 40. I have no idea. Maybe you are a football coach and you want to get one of these for your wall and then have it available to use as fundraisers for your other uh, members of your organization to have on their wall. There's uh, contact information on the website that you can go through and find that information. They'll figure out how feasible it is to custom make you guys a design, create a mold, and then they'll uh, provide you with a quote to talk about the cost and the production timeline and delivery. All of that information you can find at gottahaveitfanfoams.com. Keith, some of the interesting games this week are ones that maybe we wouldn't necessarily have kind of picked out of a lineup when the season started. Like, I don't know if I would have given much of a second thought to Bethel at Gustavus Adolphus, which looks like a really interesting game this week. St. John Fisher at Ithaca is a game that, uh, you know, I thought quite a bit about in 2002 and not so much in, say, the last five years. Uh, It's looking like a really interesting game. Uh, Johns Hopkins at Dickinson isn't something that would have been super high on the radar coming into uh, this season either. So those are the kind of games that could provide us with some of the highlights from Saturday. 
Yeah, one of the ones I'm interested in is is Southwestern at Texas Lutheran, and I know that's in the the rundown a little bit later. But um, Southwestern, two huge blowouts to start the season, and Pat, longtime listeners of the podcast will will uh, know this trope uh, when they hear it, and uh, if they were a, a around the nation podcast drinking game, Brilliant. probably have to drink when we talk about how new programs usually have this the build up to the fourth year where their first full class um, finally become seniors and and they've had a lot of those players have had a lot of time uh, on the field to develop and and they usually have this great year four and then they slide back in year five. We sort of waited for that moment for Southwestern and it hasn't quite happened yet, but it looks like right now they're off to a great start. So I think there are teams like that, like St. John Fisher, like uh, Carnegie Mellon, all across the country really that are uh, that are surprising us. Uh, this early in the season, and I think that's part of the fun of it, of course, um, because there are parts of the D3 season that do get a little predictable, but this part of the season is uh, is wide open, and it's a lot of fun. Western New England and University of New England, another game we wouldn't necessarily have talked about, but University of New England in its second season, we talk about uh, you know programs in their trajectory going upwards. This is a team that's 2-1. and one. I mean, they've beaten Alvernia, and they've beaten Castleton, which is you know, two teams probably at, at the bottom end of the uh, Division Three rankings, but you know, two wins at all in a, a second season. They haven't even played the majority of their schedule yet. This is a really good second year for the Nor'easters. I also just wanted to say Nor'easters. Yeah, it, it is one of the, the fun, weird mascots. Look, yeah, wins are hard to come by. Period. Right. Every every um, everyone East West. South of Mount Union and and North of Mary Harden Baylor, you know the wins are not automatic and and they're not automatic there either. I shouldn't say that, but um, so yeah, to to for a new program to get a couple under their belt, I think it's really um, it bodes well for the future because it gives them a couple of things, and that's part of the reason why Alvernia as a new program and and University of New England play each other because they know somebody's got to get a win on the board. But I think those are the kinds of things you can build on, you can take out on the recruiting trail and say, hey, look. Um, we won these games. We were close in these other games and, you know, maybe they finish. And even if it's like three and seven or something like that, you you can sort of sell the, um, the hope. And that's really what you need when you're, when you're out on the recruiting trail, especially, uh, when you're recruiting kids who have, uh, lost in high school, they don't want to go somewhere in college and lose. They really have to see that potential in whatever program they're joining. We're going to be talking with the head coach of North Carolina Wesleyan coming up in a little bit, Jeff Filkowski. One of the things we talk with him about is how to sell their program in a situation where, you know, NC Wesleyan started off pretty strong back at the beginning of its program about 15 years ago and has kind of tailed off and uh, is now trying to kind of put some things back together. So we'll talk with him about that and also some of the really interesting things that they have planned. Uh, for their homecoming, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, which was uh, something that was completely new and different to me. Uh, there were a couple of questions that we did not get to address in the Monday podcast because we didn't know they were going to exist yet. Although I think we could have probably figured out from maybe just looking at your ballot and my ballot, uh, like uh, questions that came up, for example, why isn't Chapman ranked after beating Whitworth on Saturday? And why isn't Carnegie Mellon ranked after beating Washington and Jefferson? And I think we both have a take on that. Yeah, I mean, I voted for Carnegie Mellon, being that they're undefeated with a win over a strong opponent. 
and they had to be above Wittenberg, which lost to WJ, the team that Carnegie Mellon beat. And I actually did that backwards on my ballot. I had Wittenberg 24, Carnegie Mellon 25, and I should have done it the other way around because Carnegie Mellon has the the benefit of, of having beaten a team that, that Wittenberg beat. So it would have been smarter for me to rank Chapman, a 45-14 winner at Pacific in its opener, and a 37-30 winner at home against Whitworth in a game that wasn't as close as that score suggests. I probably should have just done that in the 24 spot. Um, but sometimes voters don't consider everything from every angle. And then we sort of reassess over the course of the next couple of weeks. And so maybe in a week or two, you'll see voters get more comfortable with the idea of ranking the Panthers and you'll see them creep into the top 25, perhaps. It really annoyed me that WJ wasn't still above Wittenberg this week, especially because Wittenberg didn't exactly dominate against Worcester on Saturday. Once you get below 25, though, and you get into the group, which is the others receiving votes, the kind of comparisons and the head-to-head comparisons between two teams with numbers of votes get less predictable because we're kind of dealing with teams that are maybe on six to eight ballots out of the 25 at most. Uh, I didn't vote for Carnegie Mellon or WJ or Wittenberg, and I also didn't vote for Chapman. I'm kind of holding off to see Chapman play Redlands uh, before I put Chapman on my ballot. Uh, Chapman beating Pacific just doesn't light me up right now because Pacific literally hasn't beaten anybody. They're 0-3 at the moment. And I guess I just find it easier right now to believe in Redlands because uh, you know Redlands has been in this in the situation and on the verge of this situation so many times, right? Been to the playoffs multiple times. We, you know, we know Mike Maynard as a head coach is a, uh, a quantifiable quantity. Hmm. You know, we'll pretend that that's a, a phrase that makes sense, but you know what I mean? It's easier to vote for a program that has been there before. And it's easier to believe that they can be back. And I obviously Chapman has been to the playoffs, but they haven't been like on the verge of, being in the top 25 or even in the top 25 like this? Well, I think the hard thing too is early in the season when you're dealing with a team that beats a ranked team, you then have to assess, did they beat the team because they were really good or because the ranked team was was highly overranked and, and wasn't that good to begin with? So in the case of Chapman and Whitworth, maybe Whitworth wasn't a team that should have been in the the high teens or you know ranked 10th or 11th in the country. Um and I also think, too, it takes voters a little while to get their mind around ranking some new teams. So, for instance, uh, Linfield losing, and although they lost to probably the better team in, in Redlands and, and the game was closer, it people didn't didn't drop um, Linfield as far out of the poll as, as Whitworth dropped. So I think it does, it does um, early in the season, you do go off sometimes um, history or name recognition, and maybe you shouldn't, but there just isn't enough data to tell you otherwise. So I think in the case of Chapman, if you see Whitworth bounce back over the next few weeks and then and they play really well, that win looks a lot better. And if you see Whitworth all of a sudden go on a two, three game losing skid, you say, well, Chapman just beat a Whitworth team that wasn't that good. It was just living in the rankings off its previous season or off its name recognition. Yeah, and that's something that can definitely happen over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, I wrote this on Twitter on Wednesday for a fan who asked about Carnegie Mellon. And um, I, I'm just going to... I'm just going to I'm going to quote myself. Hopefully I don't get sued. Uh, voters clearly decided that W&J shouldn't have been ranked 12 because that was a huge dive down the ranking for them. When you combine the unimpressive win versus Witt with the loss to Carnegie Mellon and Wittenberg barely surviving Worcester, voters probably reevaluated all the results connected to W&J's, including Carnegie Mellon's.
Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Jeff Filkowski, the head coach at North Carolina Wesleyan. Uh, his team coming off a bye week this week and uh, one more non-conference game before getting into the conference schedule. But uh, first of all, Coach, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. Well, thanks for coming down, too. I'm glad you had a chance to stop. Yeah, this is a uh, this is an on-site, uh, rare midweek on-site, not in Minnesota or Wisconsin uh, edition of these interviews. So I definitely appreciate that. Uh, we were just chatting that this is your seventh year here now, and it, it really doesn't seem it really seems like we just kind of did this story just a couple years ago that you were hired. Yeah, and uh, it's been a growing phase here at Wesleyan, and and uh, certainly I think the program's in as healthy shape as we've been in. Uh, since I've been here, we've, we've, we finally have a senior class, uh, over 20 guys in the senior class where heck, the first six years it was you know less than a dozen. So retention's been good. Uh, the school's done a great job as far as you know prioritizing football, if you would, and making football important here. Um, I, I think the, you know, the sky's the limit as we move forward. Now, this is not the young program that it used to be. I mean, the guys now you guys have had football for coming on 20 years at this point, right? So is that 2000? Okay, so 15 years and counting. And, uh, you know, but, you know, there's obviously not like this deep lung tradition of, you know, uh, if nothing else, deep pocketed alumni that you can call on, right? What's it like to be, uh, you know, in, uh, as the head coach of a program that doesn't have that long history? Yeah, uh, certainly, you know, we... we Broke into Division Three football, you know, before I got here, and won the league three times, and you know, went to the playoffs, and and somewhere along the lines, you know, things stagnated a little bit, and and um, certainly when I got back in here, you know, we started as a struggle here, and and now we're, you know, I, I hope we're contenders um, for our league, um, but you know, the the storied history behind North Carolina Wesleyan is that. Certainly, you know, the, the people that brought football here, uh, you know, the great sport and, and stuck their neck out for football. And then for them to have a great success at the beginning of the, the run here. Um, and, and we're trying to get back to there. And, and uh, you know, I think things are starting to fall into place a little bit. Um, fortunate to have that success. I mean, I've been at a place before where, that success didn't exist, and and, um, and we can sell that in recruiting that you know we're getting closer. And once we get over to the hump here, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think that this can be someplace consistently competing for the conference title. Yeah, it it seems like. Uh, what are the other selling points too? Because it seems like if nothing else, you guys are kind of like geographically isolated. I drove like an hour and a half from Raleigh to get here, and I don't know how far north you have to go on 95 to get to Richmond, but it's not. Uh, it it's kind of out on the edge of this kind of South Atlantic pocket of Division Three. Yeah, and and you know certainly you know we hone in on North Carolina as far as our recruiting base. And uh, probably, I don't know, 70% of the kids come from North Carolina and, and Virginia. Uh, we dip into, you know, uh, Georgia and South Carolina and, and, and then obviously Florida. Um, you know, as far as private education and, and, and what you can get here as far as the opportunities that present themselves are, you know, just like any other place, if you would. Certainly we don't have the engineering, quote unquote, but... Uh, a lot of our kids are getting, you know, the first glance of 
opportunity, if you would. A lot, a lot of our kids are first-generation college students, and and uh, we make it affordable and, and uh, give them the best service, if you would, as far as, you know, when a kid steps on campus here, you know, everybody here on campus is wants to see that kid succeed in the classroom, on the football field, and all those things. And, and, and that's the best thing we, we sell. We, we got people, people that care. I'm looking at this photo, and I've been looking at this photo on your wall, this aerial shot of the stadium that you guys play in. And I, I'm, I'm going to assume for a second, and you can correct me in a, in a second if I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume this is like homecoming or something like that. There's the stands are pretty full. Uh, you've got cars kind of lined all around the field. This is one of those few places in Division Three where you can drive the car like right up to the edge and I assume kind of sit in your car and watch the game if you like. So I really like the how this looks. And I actually need to make sure we get this on our website. But tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of game day atmosphere. Yeah, our game day is pretty good. Um, certainly, you know, we played an off-campus site. Um, you know, the, the, the driver here is to bring football onto campus uh, as far as football goes in the athletic department. And we're going to do our homecoming game this year on campus. So uh, that's October 12th. And, and um, we're going to give it a test run, kind of do what, you know, I happened to be at Heidelberg back when they were playing at the local stadium and a great venue. And our venue is amazing. I mean, it, it's a little bit big for us. I mean, it's 7,000 seats. Um, but um you know getting it on campus you know for the student body if you would and and the pride behind the football program for the players to call place home if you would they're not traveling down to the local stadium uh you know those are going to be big things and and i think it's going to be an exciting time to see what we do here on october 12th whenever we bring it on campus so is it right out here out front where those uh goalposts are yeah we're going to do kind of what uh Heidelberg did uh, back in the day. They carted in stands and, you know, kind of makeshifted it until they got to the point where they're at now, where they got a great place to play right now on campus. So I assume that's got to be pretty exciting for people around here. Yeah, I mean, you know, a little leery, if you would, too. I mean, obviously, we want to make the venue as great as it can be and, and uh, things like that. I'm, I'm mostly worried about the, you know, 120 by 53 and making sure the field's ready and, and, and the team's ready to play. And uh, But but we'll, it's going to be a, a great venue, if you would. I mean, we're carting in stands and doing some of the things, like I said, that I've experienced in the past or seen in the past. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a lively day here i mean we got all kind of sports on we're, we're at noon and men's and women's soccer or soon thereafter i mean there's going to be a bunch of people on campus it's going to be lively so yeah we're excited about it it looks like you have plenty of room out there i don't expect anybody's going to be like running into the ivy and the brick wall or anything like that no no we, we got plenty of room out there uh and certainly you know as you visit our campus our, our campuses pretty big as far as we're not landlocked so you know being able to make more athletic fields or or uh hopefully a stadium one day that that i hope is the direction we head in what's your take on how your team's performed so far two two games three weeks into the season yeah we're not where we need to be um certainly we, we we've struggled kind of in the turnover game uh, here in the first two games, we were fortunate to overcome them in the Emory and Henry game in the opener. Last week, we just couldn't get them, get back into it. Uh, we got back to 20-19 to and 21-19 and, and then uh, kind of slipped away there at the end. But, um, you know, we got to take care of the football. I think, you know, defensively, I think we're a good defensive football team. But 
uh, it's hard to start whenever you're first and goal to seven or something like that. And we've, we've had a couple of those where our defense has been put in a bind. Uh, we got to do a better job offensively. And, and uh, I think if we can just function, and at times when we do function, we're a pretty darn good football team. And, and uh, when we struggle and we get in our own way, that, 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 that's when we get hurt. What are the bright spots and like who are the names that uh, people listening should keep an eye out for for you guys this year? Well, I just tell you, Antonio Johnson, if there's a better linebacker in Division Three, I mean, he's as good as you're going to get. Um, and, and again, I've been in a couple of different programs. Um, he, he's, he's a, you know, super tremendous football player. Um, you know, he, he, he's had lights out weeks, both one and two. Um, and then, you know, certainly on defense, I think we've got a stable full of guys that are, you know, doing a good job from, you know, Isaiah uh, Williams is our other uh, inside linebacker. He's been playing good. Jeff Person is a defensive tackle. He's been playing really good. And then our back end, uh, you know, Leo Guzman and Eddie Graham and, and Octavian Bell. I mean, those guys, Marcus Leggett. Marcus Leggett had a heck of a game last week. Um, and again, I think as part of the retention, we're playing with guys on that side of the football that are not underclassmen, if you would. Um, great opportunity from their experience to be able to play championship-type caliber football. On offense, uh, as I said, with the turnovers, we we, we got to settle it down at quarterback. Uh, Danielle Totten has been playing at the position, and and uh, he's got to take care of the football a little bit better. Um, but. At wide receiver, you know, we got Jay Irvin and uh, Tyler Roberts. Those two guys are as good as, and they're just young guys, so they're they're just sophomores, but they're as good as young guys that we've had here, and and uh, I'm excited about them. And Darian Curley's been carrying the ball for us. Uh, he's doing a good job. Jeffrey Black's doing a good job up front. You know, we'd need to be a little bit more solid, but we've got a nice group of guys up front, a couple all-conference players and Breon Faust and Wyatt French. And, uh, you know, th those guys need to solidify some things for us. And, and then at tight end, I mean, uh, we got to get him going a little bit. But um, uh, Ben Dorfman, he, he's, as, like I said, kind of as good as you're going to find. 6'5", target, uh, can get down the field a little bit. And we utilize him as much as we possibly can. So we got to target him with the football a little bit. I have to ask you about uh, your game coming up this week. You guys are playing Stetson, and that's a D1 FCS school down in Florida, which surprisingly just somehow is playing three Division three opponents uh, uh, this season. How do you guys end up with that game, and then how do you go and prepare for something like that? Yeah, uh, certainly, um, you know, as we were talking off, off, off the uh, wire here, if you would, uh, talking about the struggle of getting that third game being in, down here in the – in the uh, southeast, if you would, you know, there's not very many Division three football schools down here. And then to top it off, if you have that third non-conference game, you know, who you're looking to play. And, and most of the time you're going to have to travel. And, and um, just fortunate, that, you know, we, we got a email from Stetson and, and talked about, you know, potentially playing them. And, and sometimes, you know, we've seen guys play in Davidson and, you know, who's also in the league. And uh, so I responded back just to see, you know, send the fielder back. And then it ended up creating momentum and we ended up getting the game. And, and uh, you know, certainly 
they're a good football team. There ain't no doubt, as you've seen, who who, who they played at Louisiana College in Western New England, and they've handled them both pretty pretty sternly. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to go down and battle. I mean, uh, you know, we traveled to Mountain Union. Mountain Union came down here and. Uh, a couple years back and, you know, played Thomas Moore last year, who's a good football team. Um, you know, we're going to have to obviously take care of the football and do the things good football teams do. Uh, you know, can't let them return any kicks and things like that for touchdowns and give them easy scores, make them work for everything they got to do. Uh, can't give them anything. I mean, they're, they're going to beat us if we give it to them and they're going to beat us sound, soundly. Um, but that's going to be the preach of the week. I mean, do the things we're going to do and you know, get a hat on the hat and tackle the guy whenever you have an opportunity to tackle the guy and certainly throw the ball to our guys. And and uh, hopefully we get a couple turnovers from them and, and uh, you know, that ball ain't round. So it bounces some funny ways at times and we'll line up and, and go play. And then after that, it's into USA South league play. So what's your take on the USA South? How are things shaping up when conference play begins? Yeah, uh, certainly, uh, you know, I think that, you know, our league is – as I said, had to bounce around a little bit. You know, Huntington went up to Wisconsin and, and uh, some of those things. And, you know, I, I still look at Averett. You know, a Averett is being potentially the, 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 t the top dog right now. And Cleve's got been doing a good job up there getting them going. Um, but, you know, and then you, you can't count out Maryville and Huntington. Maryville, you know, obviously is off to a slow start. But, uh, I think they did the same thing last year and then ran the table in the league. And, uh, you know, so, you know, again, just looking across the league, I mean, without seeing any film, I mean, that that, that that's basically, you know, I, I looked at those top three teams as being the, the teams that would be there to compete for the championship. And I hope that we're in that, you know, discussion. And, again, we've got to do our part and, you know, go out and play the games and, and uh, you know, the week after this week, we go down to Lagrange, and they're a good football team, and and uh, we're going to go have to go play, you know, before we get back at home for Greensboro. That's another Twitter question from Saturday or Sunday that we did not get a chance to answer on the air. Was uh, what do we think about the USA South at this point in the season? So I just threw that question to Coach Filkowski, who has to coach in it. Keith, uh, it's just still very strange to me that three Division three schools are playing Stetson this year? It is, um, and it happens somewhat. sometimes from time to time. Um, there's a team that's, like, brand new, and they need games, and so they come to one D3 school, and then they, they realize by scheduling this one, oh, some of their same conference mates also have openings, especially when there's a um, conference with odd number of games, and so somebody uh, – odd number of teams, I'm sorry, and, and so somebody has to have a bye – throughout the entire season rather than um, being able to stick everybody with the same bye week. But Stetson is not a brand new program. Uh, they're not just restarting football or starting for the first time. So it is a little odd, but I bet there's some kind of backstory where, where, uh, you know, they had games, they had openings on the schedule. Maybe there was, you know, conference departure or something like that. And uh, once you, once you get in touch with one, and you say, hey, by the way, anybody else you know needs games? And you're like, yeah, all, all the guys I uh, coach with in this conference need games. So uh, sometimes you just got to fill out that schedule. It's time for our five games to watch. And I'm going to start us off with a game, which is a, a game to watch any day, any time. And that is uh, number two, Mount Union at number 12, John Carroll, especially when you can watch it for free online. 
So my question is, was John Carroll looking ahead to this game last week when it struggled to defeat Otterbein? If you're looking for a competitive game, you better hope that's the case. The big number on defense looks great for the Blue Streaks. They've allowed just seven points a game over their first two games. Uh, and, of course, then you probably would have to ignore the fact that they've averaged only 17.5 points per game on offense. On the flip side, Mount Union just firing on all cylinders on both offense and defense, having scored 66 and 45 points in the first two games while allowing 10.5 points per contest. By all accounts, Purple Raider quarterback D'Angelo Fulford seems to be fully recovered from the injury which limited him last season and has thrown 10 touchdowns with no interceptions in two games. He also got out and uh, ran a little bit in the win against Baldwin Wallace as well. If the concern for the Purple Raiders is an inexperienced secondary, well, it doesn't seem like John Carroll is uh, particularly built to challenge that group right now as the Blue Streaks have thrown for 309 yards over their two games. Two years ago, when John Carroll upset Mountain Union, it was based in large part on a big game by running back Michael Canganelli, but it seems he'll struggle to repeat that if the Purple Raider defense can key on shutting down the run game. In all, though, a good next test for Mountain Union and for us, perhaps providing some points for comparison between John Carroll and Baldwin Wallace. And now over to Keith. Well, this is weird. Pat is talking Mountain Union. I'm going to take the East Region game while Frank previews a CCIW game. Luckily, Adam will make sure we are still somewhat predictable. Anyway, 3-0 St. John Fisher at 2-0 Ithaca might look better on paper than it will on Saturday, but it's a preview-worthy game because we don't know if the Cardinals are back to Empire 8 title contender status or just beating up on mediocre teams. The offense is humming behind Demir Pross and wideout Will Blake. Meantime, the Joe Germanario experiment is off to a good start at Ithaca, and the Bombers' defense did its part in a 27-9 win against Alfred last week. There were three scoring drives of 10 plays or longer, while Alfred could only get on the board with an early field goal and a fourth-quarter touchdown. To stay in the national spotlight, Ithaca needs to continue to thoroughly dominate these sorts of opponents. Now let's throw it to Adam Turr and hope the former safety has soft hands to catch it as he previews a Heartland Conference clash. The HCAC opener pits two of last year's three-way conference champions when Mount St. Joseph travels to Franklin. The Grizzlies have had the Lions number, winning the past nine meetings between the Heartland Conference rivals but this year's Franklin squad looks markedly different from the Grizzlies of years past. Franklin unexpectedly started the season 0-2, falling to Benedictine and Albion. In those losses, the defense gave up 552 yards through the air and nine passing touchdowns without picking off a pass while recording just two sacks. The secondary will need to step up against the Lions and quarterback Chayton Tomlin. The senior is thrown for 9,087 yards and 108 touchdowns in his career. Through the Lions' first two games this season, both wins, he has amassed 695 yards and six touchdowns. Non-conference losses won't deter Franklin's postseason aspirations, but the loss of starting quarterback Braden Smith might. Smith was banged up late in the fourth quarter of the loss to Albion. Senior Robbie Strader made his first career start in last week's win over Bluffton, completing just nine passes for 147 yards and one touchdown. Not your typical Grizzlies offensive output. But running back Jacob Earl in the offensive line dominated the game. Earl rushed for 207 yards on 23 carries. Austin Grunden added 84 yards on 10 carries. Each scored a touchdown. The defense stepped up, picking off three passes, two by freshman J.P. Osafo, and tallied four sacks. The Grizzlies feel good with Strader behind center. At Ronk Halley High School, he led his football team to a regional title and his baseball team to a state championship. After playing baseball for two years at Ohio Dominican, he transferred to Franklin last year and immediately earned the respect of his teammates while backing up Smith, who threw for 3,226 yards last season. With head coach Mike Leonard coaching the quarterbacks again this season, expect Strader to continue to grow within the offense, especially if the Lions load up the box in an attempt to stop Earl and Grunden. 
The Lions are eager to break their long skid against the Grizzlies, but haven't been tested much with wins over Geneva and Anderson so far this season. Even with Smith sidelined, the Lions' defense, led by linebacker Sean Sullivan, will need to step up. Last year, Smith passed for 257 yards and three scores, but Earl rushed for 186 yards and a touchdown in a 42-34 Franklin victory. Tomlin holds every career passing record in Mount St. Joe history, but two things have eluded him in his first three seasons, a win over Franklin and a trip to the playoffs. The Lions will have the inside track to the HCAC automatic bid if they can pull off a big road win on Saturday. Thanks, Adam. And now over to Greg Thomas. This week in the Southern Athletic Association, Trinity travels to center in a game of playoff hopefuls that all of a sudden find those playoff aspirations hanging by a thread before we even get through September. Center was swept up in Week 3's maelstrom of upsets, finding themselves on the surprising end of a 20-13 loss at Austin. Center struggled throwing the ball last week, completing just 9 of 29 passes for 101 yards. The Colonels clearly have to improve efficiency in their passing game. Patrick Edwards leads a strong center running game and is coming off of a 198-yard rushing performance last week. Defensively, the Colonels are struggling despite the presence of All-American Cal Llewellyn and currently sit in the bottom third of the division in yards surrendered. This week marks the final chapter in a trilogy of challenging games for Trinity. The Tigers, who had so much momentum coming into the 2019 season, have fallen at Hardin-Simmons, at home to SAA rival Barry, and now need a win on Saturday to avoid going just 1-3 in the season's first month. If the Tigers are going to avoid that third consecutive loss, they'll need significant improvement in their offensive output. Trinity has managed just 10 points in each of their last two games. Those two games were against top 40 defenses statistically, while center, as mentioned, has not been quite that stingy. We should see this weekend if Trinity's offense looks more like the one that has been stifled in the last two weeks, or the one that put up 41 points on McMurray in the season opener. The calculus is pretty simple for both of these teams this week. Win, and the playoffs are still a possibility. Lose, and the playoffs are all but out of reach. It may seem odd that we're talking about a must-win game here in September, but the Division Three regular season is so short, and the SAA schedule is so front-loaded, with top contenders playing one another, that we wind up with this game that carries the weight of playoff elimination. It's all on the line for these two teams this Saturday in Danville. And we'll finish it up with Frank Rossi. From In and Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. This week I decided to leave the friendly confines of the East Region to highlight a major game in the North Region as Milliken hosts number 11 Wheaton Saturday night in an important CCIW showdown. As most folks know, Wheaton has owned this series since 2001, with Milliken only winning in a shocking 2017 come-from-behind victory since that year. Wheaton exacted revenge last year with a resounding 63-6 win at home, but this year's game is setting up to be a much closer affair. Milliken has been outgaining opponents by a 2-1 margin in the Big Blue's first two games, averaging 554 yards per game on offense. Cal Port's air attack has been leading the way as the junior quarterback has averaged 332 yards passing per game and has accounted for four touchdowns against just one interception. He's been helped by an adept running game in which Ladavian Severato, Richard Cozy, and Cameron Graham have combined for nearly 400 yards on the ground and six rushing touchdowns. But the key may be for the Milliken defense to force turnovers Saturday night. So far, that unit has forced only one fumble loss and no interceptions, but Wheaton has fumbled the ball eight times, losing three of them in the Thunder's two games. But the Thunder's defense has more than made up for the ball control issues, giving up just 104 yards per game and by forcing four turnovers. 
The Thunder will be content to run the ball for most of the night as sophomore T.J. Williams has run for 145 yards of Wheaton's 233 rush yards per game. The likelihood for an upset is low, but this proves to be a real test for Wheaton in a key conference showdown to help justify their number 11 ranking after a big win against Illinois Wesleyan last weekend. If Milliken's offense can successfully pass the ball while their defense forces turnovers, the Big Blue can pull off the upset. But the Thunders, Ballhawks, and defense will try to give Milliken's offense fits all night to try to move to 3-0 before a key home showdown against North Central on October 5th. Back to two guys I'd always welcome in the huddle, Pat and Keith. And it's time for On the Spot, where it's my turn to put Keith on the spot first. Uh, I throw him not only a question that is uh, random, but a question that I'm not even sharing with him until right now. And Keith, um, I want you to think about compass points here. Uh, and I want you to pick a North Region team that will win on Saturday. Mountain Union? Pick a is that South cheating? That's not cheating. Pick a South Region team. Southwestern. East Region. Ooh, East Region. I'll go with... How about Ithaca? All right, and how about the West Region? Ooh, a West Region team that is going to win on Saturday. Hmm. UW Stout. All right. Now pick a team from a conference that has North in the title. Ooh, the conference has North in the title, and I have to pick. I just want to make sure I'm picking that the team that I want to pick is playing who I think they're playing. Oh, geez. I don't know who I think is going to win this game. Uh, I'm going to pick Wabash, but they get a visit from Denison, so it should be a pretty big, pretty good game. Uh, the conference those two teams are in, by the way, is called the North Coast for you, uh, for you noobs. All right, now pick a team in a conference that has South in the title to win. I will pick East Texas Baptist to win at Sol Ross State from the American Southwest Conference. And then pick a team in a conference that has West in the title. What conferences have West in the title? Hold on. Uh, when I get in the Northwest conference is basically entirely off this week. So you oh, basically are picking. Got it. So it's got to be a Midwest, right? There you go. Good. McAllister is at Grinnell. Beloit is at Knox. Give me McAllister. All right. And then pick a uh, team in a conference that has East in the title to win a game on Saturday. So this is the ECFC. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yep. I wish you good luck with this, by the way. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. There are some um, interesting looking games out of the ECFC on Saturday. Uh, and then there's some not so interesting ones. So uh, Anna Maria at RPI, that could get ugly. Uh, Norwich plays at Castleton. Those two teams are Vermont neighbors. Alfred State, Brockport also could get ugly. Greensboro Gallaudet could be a pretty good game. But I want to just talk about uh, Kane at Dean. If you look at this on paper and you're not familiar with uh, either of the D3 teams, you'd think it was Keene versus Dean. They're both spelled the same way, but uh, Kane is uh, how the North New Jersey school is pronounced. Uh, I have to pick a team from this conference. The ECFC team has to win. I do. You do. All right. In that case, let me go over to the other matchup with the NJAC, and I'll take SUNY Maritime to, um, to win at home against William Patterson. All right. I didn't write all those things down. I'll have to go back to the audio tape, but uh, you've picked a, a northeast, south, and west uh, twice. Pat, um, I'm going to put you on the spot this week because uh, that's the way the game goes. You each get to put get put on the spot. You are not, if I recall correctly, a big card player. Am I right? Yeah, no, not really. I think you saw the only time I ever played poker. 
Boy doesn't Scout use it today days. Yeah, we had we had some poker night over at uh, 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 a, a copy desk night poker night, right? Yeah, probably a lot of guys would like Seinfeld in that game too. Um, so this this is called uh, Pie Gal on the spot, and Pie Gal is a casino game or a poker game where um, you make a five card hand and a two card hand. You get dealt seven cards, and the only the only rule is your five card hand has to beat your two card hand. So in other words, if you get two aces and a bunch of garbage, you can't put the two aces in the two card hand and put all the garbage in the five card hand. Okay. Other than that, so this is how we're gonna we're gonna make you play it. I need you to pick two games in which the winner has the shorter name than the loser. Ooh. So in the case of say Colby at Hamilton, Colby and if Colby was your pick, Colby would qualify because they have the shorter name, five characters as opposed to eight or nine in Hamilton. And then I need you to pick five games where the winner has the longer name. There will be some games that are off the board for you because, like in the case of Kane and Dane or Kane and Dean, uh, or if, say, Center were to be playing Austin this week instead of Trinity, Texas, um, if they have the same amount of characters in the name, they're off the board. So give me two winners, two games in which the winner has the shorter name than the loser. All right. Well, I'm going to take Barry over Millsaps. Good call. And um, and, and also an appropriately short name, Barry, five characters. <laughs> I'm going to take MIT over Catholic. Oh, that's the shortest he gets. Are there any? There's no two two uh, name schools, right? They're all three is as short as it gets. No, I mean yes. <laughs> Props to you for spelling out Catholic because MIT over CUA would would not qualify. Uh, that's true, but uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology over Catholic University of America is another uh, whole kettle of fish, and I'm not uh, that interested in counting letters. All right. So now I've got to go to the other end of the spectrum here. I'm going to take Illinois Wesleyan over Augustana. Good call. I'm going to take uh, UW Platteville over Lakeland. Also a good call. I almost used that for my, uh, for one of my picks. Uh, Westminster over Bethany. Right. Endicott over Becker. Oh, by one, two characters? Two characters, two eight, characters. O- eight over six. Uh, the game right. will probably not be as close as that. And I'm going to take um, Washington and Jefferson over Grove City. W&J over Grove City. Uh, that that game looked a lot more interesting before Grove City lost, uh, and before W&J lost last week, so oh. maybe it's equally as interesting as we thought it was, just less prestigious. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's just as interesting, except neither team is ranked. There you go. All right, that was well. That was pretty good. I thought Pi Gal could have taken a lot longer than that. So nice job. I had to look up Pi Gal for those of you who are interested. Is uh, spelled P A I G O W. I won't tell you what I typed into Google in order to come with that up with that. <laughs> in last week's spot check, Keith was picking mascots to win, and I was picking winners by vowels. Let's take a look. And uh, I asked Keith to pick winners based on which mascot was more likely to win in a fight. And we got the Wheaton Thunder over the Illinois Wesleyan Titans. We got the Aggies of Delaware Valley over the Stevenson Mustangs. We got the UW Oshkosh Titans over the Huntington Hawks. And the George Fox Bruins over the Pomona Pitzer Sage Hens. The only miss was picking the Tigers of Hampton Sydney over the Knights of Southern Virginia. Keith, never pick your rival. Is that what I'm learning from this? This was so ill-advised. I should have realized most the Hampton Sydney outfit is like khakis and a and a pink shirt, and I should have known they would they would never beat knights. 
I had to mute myself. I was laughing too uh, too hard at that. That's uh, that's totally inappropriate. Uh, I didn't laugh on the air though. Uh, my goal was to pick winners by letter of the alphabet, specifically winners beginning with vowels. Uh, this proved kind of interesting. Amherst, the winner in the A category, beating Colby. East Texas Baptist was my pick. They lost to Texas Lutheran, 31-21. It was actually impossible to win the E category on Saturday. All five Division three schools whose names begin with E lost. Ithaca defeated Alfred, and Ohio Wesleyan beat Oberlin to get wins for me in the I's and the O's. But it's you that is the clear failure, or it's you that are the clear failure. I'm not sure. Even after declaring the UW schools ineligible, there were still winners to be had in Union and the University of New England. But Ursinus should have won as well. Somehow they lost to Juniata at home, 44-38. Ursinus seemed like a slam dunk in the U's. Yeah, I thought that was your was the right pick, and it turned out... These were actually interesting games that we uh, that we settled on, and not just uh, trying to spice things up by talking about these games in a different format. Turned out these were all uh, pretty important games. That's the sound of a 101 slot roulette wheel taking its spin and landing on number 34, and that puts us on Salve Regina at Nichols, and of course the uh, the the object of the random game is to have Keith and I kind of spin out right here on the spot, as it were, a quick preview of this game and create a rivalry trophy for it. So the Seahawks of Salve Regina and the Bison of Nichols. Nichols coming into the season, of course, at 2-1 and one with wins against Dane. I'm sorry, that's Dean and Anna Maria, a one-point loss to Coast Guard. It's, of course, also the start of Commonwealth Coast Conference play for these schools. Salve Regina... One and two with a uh, also a win against Dean and a loss to Montclair State and a loss to Norwich. A loss to Norwich at the beginning of the season uh, was a little surprising looking to me, Keith. But uh, then Norwich beat Coast Guard last week for like the first time in many, many moons. Um, so I feel like that game gets reevaluated ever so slightly. Yeah, and, and I actually think um, what's interesting about landing on this game is is getting, giving us a chance to talk about Nichols, which we've had... Um, Coach Dale Olmstead on the pod one in one of those uh, off-season podcasts. And if you're a fan of those, where we really get to drill down a little bit more with the coaches. Although I, I think the in-season coach interviews this year, Pat, have been great. Thank you. Nichols was a program that won in nine in 2015, shot up to six wins in 2016, and then back down to two and eight last season, and then off to, to a two and one start and really one point away from, uh, from being three and oh at this point. So, I don't know if uh, you know if they're having if they had a rough year last year with injuries or if um, you know it's it's sometimes tough to to continuously recruit well off uh, off that or you know maybe it's it's partially that um, the CCC is is fairly competitive and that that CCC is a group of teams that were uh, NEFC teams back when that was the sixteen team conglomerate and those uh, those schools finally realized that uh, they were essentially giving a playoff spot away by having all 16 teams play for one spot when they could form two conferences and, uh, and end up with two spots. So now, uh, now Nichols and Salve are in the group with Curry, Husson, Western New England, Endicott, Becker, and UNE, those Northeasters that we mentioned early in the podcast. And I think the, the pretty interesting thing about this conference right now is five teams are two and one. Salve may well be the best team uh, in the conference when it's all said and done. They're one and two. Uh, and and Curry and Husson will probably be competitive in the conference slate as well, but 
they're 0-2, and those two teams scheduled aggressively. So I don't think we have too much of a sense of how the CCC is uh, is going to go, and I think that's probably what makes it uh, pretty interesting. I think so, too, especially because, you know, although these schools have uh, many of them have played against each other uh, as part of the NEFC, you know, this conference uh, has changed, uh, you know, membership a couple of times, obviously adding Becker, then adding Husson. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out in this game. I think we'll be part of it. Nichols quarterbacked by Michael Pena, who I looked at his name and I thought, I recognize that name. Why do I recognize that name? It's because he was also starting quarterback for Mount Ida in their final season as a uh, school or as a Division Three football institution. And then uh, Joshua Pierre-Charles, who is uh, averaging just short of 100 yards rushing per game. That's what uh, it looks like on the Nichols side. On the other side, Salve in the big win against Dean last week got 207 yards and five touchdowns from Joey Moriello. I'd have to think if that guy had been nominated for the team of the week that he probably would have gotten on the list. I say this not knowing for sure that he wasn't nominated, but I don't remember seeing uh, that stat line. That's a pretty impressive uh, performance. In terms of a rivalry trophy, uh, Seahawks and Bison are kind of two animals that are not particularly competitive. Uh, Salve Regina is the only Division Three football playing school in the state of Rhode Island. So maybe there's some kind of border battle trophy here that we could talk about it. We could obviously there's lots of border battles and this is more like a lowercase B border battle, but uh, you know, I'm a little bit leery of course about going back to naming it after the names of towns after I got the wrong town in last week's. I assume you heard that. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, I was here when you recorded it. That's for sure. Well, yeah. If you were here when we recorded it, why didn't you stop me from saying, uh, uh, RPI was in Schenectady when it's clearly in Troy and Union is in Schenectady. Uh, I was just having too much fun listening to you say Schenectica. What do we call it? Well, we called it the Schenectica Cup, which now apparently has to be the uh, Union uh, Utica game. All right, so we're just going to go with this as a border battle and uh, you know, maybe uh, the people who think that uh, 62 minutes is too long for a uh, Friday morning podcast will just have to deal with that. Well, the joy of, of podcasts, too, though, is uh, you can listen to it as much of it as you want. We prefer if you make it to the end. We try to throw some bonus material at the end. But, hey, if you don't, that's on you. Or you can listen to it at 1.5 speed, 1.2 speed. Do whatever you want. You can skip sections. <clears throat> it's a podcast. You do whatever <clears throat> you want. <clears throat> no, there's no way you can listen to it at 1.5 speed. We really don't tolerate that. That's really a bad idea. We don't want anybody to listen to it at anything but the proper speed that it was already recorded at. You know what I mean? I kind of knew that was, gonna, that was coming. Um, uh, maybe we can pull... Dudley is where Nichols is, and it's yeah. uh, right near uh, Old Sturbridge Village, which is like um, kind of like Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, it's like an old, it's like a living history right. town in Massachusetts. Salve, on the other hand, is in Newport, Rhode Island, which is sort of like uh, a Tony sailboat town. Can we do something with uh, like the culture clash or the I no like, nothing? Yeah, no, I like it. Let's uh, as long as we're making up mythical. Uh, rivalry trophies we might as well be somewhat disparaging of the town that's Good. totally the culture a, clash it is the culture clash it is so when uh, these teams uh, play on saturday they'll be playing in the culture clash thanks a lot for uh tolerating that time for the one-liners <laughs> southwestern at texas lutheran the Pirates have outscored their first two opponents 97 to 10 and this might be the year we start to pay attention nationally but the bulldogs are rarely an easy win UW Stout at Cal Lutheran. 
By the end of the season, Menominee, Wisconsin might be frozen over. So wisely, the Blue Devils scheduled a trip to Thousand Oaks, California in late September, and they're going to get 68 degrees and rainy. But maybe they'll come home with their first win. St. Norbert at Monmouth. Yeah, this is often the de facto MWC Week 11 title game. But in this case, the teams have one win between them as they've scheduled aggressively, and it hasn't gone so well. Monmouth, after bad losses to Wheaton and Warburg, both ranked, needs to get one on the board. I think it's not de facto. I think it's de jury uh, title game, right? It's the actual title game. Yeah, you're right. It is. I'm sorry. Montclair State at Hobart. This is an interesting non-conference game and the fourth so far for Hobart, which is surprisingly 3-0. Montclair State got surprised in week one at Southern Virginia, a bounce back at Salve Virginia last week, and makes a third road trip to a third state in September. Amherst at Tufts. I have no idea what to make of the NESCAC after Tufts beat conference power Trinity to open the season, then took it on the chin 44-8 against Williams last week. Amherst, however, is 2-0, and this is their toughest test so far, and a win here would give them lead dog status. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Of course, Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some set of coherent opinions. Some are quick hits, some are quick misses. And we start with the game of the week from last week. No super misses in this week with a, a bunch of games that were definitely impactful, although the Alfred Ithaca game, which was Adam's pick, was not particularly a contest for the final 25 minutes. In the category of which top 25 team is most likely to be upset, there were lots of possibilities, but only Keith, who took Linfield, and Frank, who took W&J, managed to actually get one right. Even so, though, none of the picks was as bad as mine, since I picked nobody to be upset. You're upset with that pick. We also asked which conference opener would have the biggest implications in November, and when November comes around, we will not be going back to week three to see how this one went. So lazy. We asked whether Teal would end its losing streak last week against Geneva, and five of us said no, with only Greg Thomas on the side of our newest Coke shill. And everyone except Greg took the MIAA and the MIAA Knack Challenge, and the MIAA won six games to two. See this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. Back to pass, looking in the near corner for Knapp, and it's intercepted! Zahar at the goal line, returning it to the 30! Right, now we're down to the uh, final part of the show, where we do the pick six. I give Keith six games, and he has to pick a winner, and we're going to start with Westminster of Pennsylvania at Bethany. Westminster. Lake Forest at Chicago. like Lake Forest this year. I can't blame you. Augustana at Illinois Wesleyan. Illinois Wesleyan bounces back. Hassan at Mooresville State. Mooresville State. Greensboro at Gallaudet. I got. I'm gonna say Gallaudet. And uh, Southern Virginia at Bridgewater. That's a much better game. This is a game we not we would not have put on uh, any watch list at the beginning of the season. Now it's a good game. Uh, let's ride with Southern Virginia again. Why not? They're off to a great start. 
20. Yeah, and it's a game I put at the end of this list because it's uh, definitely a toss-up. It's unpredictable, and that was the uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 245, released on September 27th, 2019. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like our podcast, there's so many places you can show how you like your podcast or this podcast, because you could rate it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you know, the places where people get podcasts. This will help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music beds used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Greg Thomas, and Frank Rossi, plus our guest, Jeff Filkowski, for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. Sorry, you stayed to the end of the podcast this week, and there's no cool bonus anything next week though i mean i could go get that trombone there'll be a time to uh to look at all this stuff and to reflect but now's not the time